Hello, and thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to my very first podcast, A Coach Needs a Coach, Motivation for Leaders. I'm so excited to share this series of podcasts with you. I originally wrote this as a book, which I still really hope to publish, but it's very important for me to get this story out into the world before life gets too busy or I lose the confidence to share it. And so I'll begin with a podcast. Here are the first few chapters of A Coach Needs a Coach, Motivation for Leaders. I hope you'll tune in for my next episodes where I'll finish finish reading the book and then for the following episodes where I'm going to bring in amazing guests, including all of the important coaches who helped make this happen. It really is a magical journey. Here goes. A coach needs a coach, motivation for leaders. So many people have these stories, stories of hitting rock bottom and then picking up the pieces and finally creating the life they're meant to live. Well, I'm happy to report that mine isn't a rock bottom story. It's uh, I'm somewhere in the middle, but refuse to actually hit rock bottom before making positive changes in my life kind of story. It's been a hard couple of years for all of us. When the world finally started opening up again, I was sitting outside on a friend's deck while our kids played in a pool and it was the nicest thing. And this woman walked in, a friend of my friend, She was just stopping by to drop something off. She introduced herself as a life coach, I think. She sat down and the three of us immediately got into a deep discussion about life and healing. I don't often do deep discussions, but somehow I knew that she was safe and that it was time. I just had to heal now. And she was the person who was going to help me. I needed a coach. Of course I needed a coach. For my whole life, I've had life-changing coaches and teachers. Some have been the best role models of my life, and I've aspired to be just like them. And others are the reason that I became a teacher, so that no kid would ever feel the way that I felt when I had a bad one. We're all coaches in some way, aren't we? Maybe you're a parent coaching your kid to be the best person they can be, a CEO of a big company, an auntie, a camp counselor, a big or little sister or brother, a teacher, or a coach or leader of another kind. We are all coaches to someone. Someone out there is always watching us, and learning from us. They're learning from the way we do things, the way we react to things, from the person that we are and how we conduct ourselves in the world. That's the thing about coaches or teachers or leaders. We're learning from them and we're accountable to them. You want to please your coach. They give you feedback and you work with it so they're proud of your accomplishments. That's what I needed. Someone to be accountable to in my healing journey to be proud of me when I made positive changes because I sure wasn't ready to have it be me. Why was it time? Why did I need to heal, you ask? Well, don't we all need to heal from something? What I thought I needed to heal from in that moment was pain. I was in a lot of physical pain. Doctors, and I had seen many, were questioning if maybe I had rheumatoid arthritis. I was having a really hard time believing it could be. It had to be something else, something that could be healed without a lifetime of medication. Whatever it was, it could be healed naturally. I just knew it. My coach talked about the different types of treatment she did, and one of them was meant to heal pain. I decided that I needed her to help me heal the pain. What I learned, in fact, was that I needed to heal from so, so much more. Here's the thing I learned from Chelsea, my coach, early on. When I would ask her things like, can I change my session today? I just got invited to a really great presentation, but you are my priority. She literally said back to me, Shannon, you need to change your language. You are your priority. That's my problem. I have never been my priority. 
not ever. I didn't know how to do that. I'm going to be totally honest, work has been my priority over all other things. I am proud of how hard I work, but there's no balance. There are no boundaries. I'm a 24 seven workhorse and it's not healthy. My job is a job. It puts money on the table, the table that I need to be at. And I love my job so much. I'm really good at it. Well, that's what I'm told anyway. I'm working hard to believe that and have confidence in myself. And I'll talk more about that later. I'm all about the sayings, do what you love and choose a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I do that. But the thing you love doing shouldn't take you away from the most important parts of life. Again, I need to be at the table. That's what matters. I'm sure we've all seen the Facebook posts about end of life workers asking people about their regrets. It's always about regretting not telling people that you loved them enough, not spending enough time doing the things that you love or spending it with the people that you love. It's never, I wish I worked harder at my job. So I've got some work to do. In my very first session with my new life coach, she said to me, wow, Shannon, when you talk about your job, your teaching and your leadership, I can feel that there's something else there. There's something more. We're going to need to explore that. We were on the phone. How could she know that? But she did. And that's when I knew this was going to change my life. At work, I've always taken the next step. I went from swimmer to coach, from instructor to trainer, from lifeguard to the teacher of lifeguards, and I've been working my way up in the teaching world as well, from teacher to principal to teacher of teachers. You see where this is going. If I was a fancy business person, they would likely call this climbing the corporate ladder. Though I guess I'm going through the motions of climbing the corporate ladder, I've never really felt like I fit in with the traditional ladder climbers. I've now realized why. I don't have a ladder. I have a spider web, this beautiful, gigantic web of awesome things that I'm a part of that stretches out way beyond my reach. Even though like a spider, I often feel like I have eight arms on the go. Never sure which idea or hobby or job should be the focus. I just keep spinning out more webs in all the directions. It's huge and I'm just this tiny spider. I often can't even see the whole web. The other thing about the web versus the ladder, the ladder is pretty sturdy and it has an obvious direction. People hop on and go up to the top. It's like an escalator, a clear path. But the web, the web takes precarious balance to maneuver around. I feel like Indiana Jones at the Temple of Doom. Is this the next safe step or will I fall through? There are a million different directions to go and no clear end or top in sight. All this talk about webs has me thinking of my favorite superhero, Spider-Man. If you're like me and this leadership web theory is hitting you hard, then you'll really like this next bit. You know he has a famous quote that I hope will ring as true to you as it has to me. With great power comes great responsibility. Sure does. Every leader has power. Every person has power. We all have the power to change people's lives. Like I said before, we're all coaches to someone. We have a great collective responsibility as coaches to use that power for good, for coaching others. With this new web revelation, I'm not going to leave the web for the ladder. I'm going to reinforce my web, making sure it's strongest in the areas that I need it to be. A web is just a bunch of ladders, really, if you look hard enough at it. Not one ladder to the top, but many ladders to many different places it's time to strengthen it. If you have a web too, I hope I've encouraged you to do the same. 
We are all in charge of weaving the next part of our web, of taking the next step on the ladder. We are accountable to ourselves for that. So, this book has become my accountability piece to myself. I'm going to heal through writing, writing it all down, the good, the bad, and the ugly, my whole web. Through sharing my journey, I hope I can help you on yours too. If nothing else, hopefully you get some laughs and there might be some cries. And my goal is for there to be lots and lots and lots of inspiration because we can all use a little more inspiration in our lives. And as the author of this book, while you're reading it, I'll be your coach. Even when we read, we have a coach. The author's like a coach. When I was 16, I had jaw surgery to fix a crossbite that caused really terrible headaches. What an absolutely awful thing to go through at age 16. My jaw was wired shut for an entire summer. I'm talking, I had emergency wire cutters with me at all times in case I barfed and needed to have my mouth cut open to let it out. It was gross. When I cried, I couldn't breathe and I was in so much pain that there was a lot of crying. My mom spent all day making blended foods and soups and feeding me through a syringe like a baby bird. It was humiliating. It was also exhausting for all of us, I'm sure. Because I couldn't do much, I read. I read and read and read. I read many Maeve Binchy books, and I was convinced that when I could talk again, I'd have an Irish accent. Books can coach us throughout our lives. Maybe you read for an escape. Maybe it's for pleasure. I'm reading the Bridgerton series right now. That's for pleasure. Maybe you read for work or for school or for learning, but all the books we read can teach us so many things. The funny thing about this book is that it reads a lot like Laura Numeroff's If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. If you're not a parent or a teacher, you may have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a famous kid's book, and the mouse thinks one thought that leads to another and then another, and they all connect and come back to the big idea, making a beautiful whole. But sometimes you're left wondering where the story is going. Trust me that just like that one, this one will all connect and make sense in the end. I have to go back to the jaw surgery for a minute. The other part I need to mention about this time is that while I was in the hospital, bruised from my chest to my forehead, with my face all gauze-wrapped and unable to speak, my mom and my dad's new girlfriend both showed up at the same time to visit me. They had never met. I had to introduce them on a whiteboard. I took out my little black marker and wrote, Mom, this is Patricia. Oh, I had to coach them through that experience from my hospital bed. Good thing it wasn't my first experience as a coach. I was only a few months old when I became a coach for the very first time. When I was born, I had only been growing inside for six months. It was way too early. You'll understand a little more later, but I've always done things fast. So it was time. I only weighed two pounds. There's a picture of my dad's hand holding me when I was born. My head is in his fingers and my legs are hanging over his wrist. I was so tiny and born at a time when preemies didn't have the survival chances that they have today. They prepared my parents for any situation. There could be a multitude of problems and I may not make it. They didn't name me for a long time, so everyone called me Tiger. I like it. It still holds a special place in my heart. What I don't like is that I had to live in an incubator for a long time. Parents didn't get to stay at the hospital with their newborns at that time. Imagine. To this day, I really hate being alone. I think this is all connected. Anyway, against all odds, I grew and grew and developed, and eventually I was healthy and strong enough to go home. This is when I became a coach. Not only was I coaching my first-time parents, but my mom and I were invited back to the hospital to visit new parents who were having preemie babies so they could see that things can turn out okay. 
pretty amazing. Not only was I a very young coach, but I also started having my own inspirational coaches at a very young age. My first formal coach was a man named Pat. I was in swimming lessons at the local pool, and after one of my lessons, Pat approached my mom and I. He said he'd been watching me swim for the last few weeks and wanted my mom to consider signing me up to swim with his racing program. I was only eight. That's when I found my love of racing. I have always loved going fast. I drive fast when I get excited or nervous about something. I speak way too fast. I power through things. When I started writing this book, I wanted to finish it right away. And when I start reading a book, I speed read and get way too into it until I finish it. Fast is good for me. I think that's why I struggle with yoga and meditation. I'll tell you more about that later. But as a swimmer, I was fast and I loved it. During my coaching time with Pat, he brought me to see Mark Tewksbury, an Olympic swimmer who was on tour with his new book, Visions of Excellence. Remember, I was only eight. I sat there in the audience, so proud to be so young and invited to such an adult thing. Mark was at the front, he had his medal with him, he was a great speaker, and in that moment, and for many years to come, he was my idol. His speech spoke to me in a way that I can't even explain. I knew in that moment that I needed to do what he did. I needed to be just like Mark Tewksbury. I read his book about a million times. I, I worked so hard to swim so well. I moved on from Pat's coaching program and joined the local swim team and I swam for years. I had many inspirational and motivational coaches as a swimmer and some were downright terrifying. I learned about who and what I wanted to be and who and what I didn't want to be from all of them. Swimming taught me some of the best lessons of my life. I learned about visualization, motivation, self-discipline, the importance of a team, and most of all, the importance of a coach. Some of my coaches had such a huge impact that I still think of them every day. I'm thankful for their guidance and proud to have been one of their students. One of my coaches just returned from the Olympics in Tokyo. I made lifelong friends at the pool and all over the province, many of whom I'm still in contact with today, 30 years later. Being a swimmer also had a huge impact in shaping the person I am today. It wasn't always sunshine and rainbows though. I became a moody teenager who was resentful that my non-swimmer friends got to be on other teams and play lots of different sports, but that I only had time for swimming. I would get up at 4.30, get to the pool, swim from 5 to 7, then go to school, then swim from 4 to 6, then home, then homework, then bed. It was my life. And I loved it. But then I didn't. I quit. Once I stopped racing, things got bad. I was used to being able to eat large portions of food because I was working out so hard it was immediately burned off. I gained a ton of weight, I was unhappy, and I felt like a failure for quitting. I was good, and I could have gone further. I spiraled. This was not my first spiral. This one included an eating disorder, more counseling, and a lot, a lot of anger. When I was healthy, again, I missed the pool. I missed swimming, I missed my team. So I started coaching. If I wasn't going to be the athlete, I could help the future athletes. I still lived by the principles I'd learned being a swimmer. I would be good at teaching those to the newest generation of swimmers. I worked alongside some of my best coaches and felt like I was still theirs, but in a new reciprocal way. I was building my coaching web without even knowing it at the time. Until I started thinking about this book, I honestly believed that I was a failed Olympic athlete, that I was never going to be like Mark Tewksbury and I should have just given up the dream years ago. Now I realize that, 
though being a swimmer for so long was one of my most life-changing and amazing parts of my life. It wasn't the swimming part that I was meant for, but the motivational part. It makes sense, right? It started when I was born. Though Mark Tewksbury was the first motivational speaker who spoke to me and gave me some clear focus on my life's next steps and goals, even though I may have hung on to the wrong one, I've been fortunate to have seen many others, though I'm also now convinced that this is part of the master plan for me. Today, we can turn on the TV or computer and get our hands on millions of motivational speeches and TED Talks on every subject. Have you seen Rita Pearson's Every Child Needs a Champion? It's one of my favorites. But there's something special about being right there, in person, in the audience. When I was in high school, I was so shy, uncomfortable in my body, healing from having had an eating disorder, and then dealing with the failure I felt for not being the swimmer I believed I was meant to be. It wasn't until I was chosen to go to a student leadership conference that I started to really come out of my shell. To this day, I'm not sure which teacher recommended me, but they must have seen my spark that I thought I was hiding very well at age 15. And for that, I am so thankful. Every time I listened to a speech, to a story of someone overcoming challenges and barriers and rising up despite all odds, I was deeply moved. It opened up my world to the feeling you get when you make other people feel good. Every time I listened to someone share their story, it felt so good. I attended leadership conferences for my last few years of high school, and it extended beyond the school environment as well. I had the amazing opportunity to attend workshops, conferences, and excursions, learning and growing throughout each one. I attended a rotary camp and went to Outward Bound on a leadership scholarship, and both of these happened in one summer. It was a summer of passion and change. I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I wanted to make others feel the way I felt when listening to them. But what would I talk about? I didn't think I had anything of value to share. So I walked away from that dream. For a while, anyways. Since I wasn't going to be a motivational speaker, yet, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. At that time, I was in university. I was in the outdoor recreation program and I was going to work at Outward Bound for the rest of my life, as it had had a profound impact on me as a teenager. I would take kids on trips around the world and teach them about taking care of the environment. I would teach them about resilience through getting through a tough portage and about overcoming fears by mastering a difficult rock climb or a set of wild rapids. I would be a motivating leader. My leaders at Outward Bound were both going to be teachers, so maybe that's what should come first for me too. I had the outdoor background, but I'd make a more well-rounded trip leader if I also had the teaching background. This would be my next step, my next section of the web. Surely I could motivate kids as a teacher too, right? Looking back, I think I always wanted to be a teacher. I didn't know it at the time, but all my experiences led me in that direction. Again, I'm looking back and really feeling this universe has a master plan theory. Thankfully, I had watched many amazing teachers in action by the time I decided to become one. You know my swim coach I mentioned who was at the Olympics? Her name's Janet, and she's one of the most incredible coaches ever. Guess what she also is? You guessed it, a teacher. While I was a young swimmer, Janet was a young coach. She was also in school training to be a teacher. I vividly remember her on the side of the pool deck, pushing us super hard in workouts, giving amazing feedback and spending so much time training each of us to be the best we could be. Then, once we were in the water for a long stretch, she'd be writing up lesson plans, marking student work, and asking for our feedback on lesson ideas to bring to her classes after workouts. She was an amazing multitasker. She also loved things fast. She was, and is, incredible. 
I've looked up to her for so many years as one of my most important coaches. Janet was an inspirational coach and teacher, and she's one of the main reasons that I knew I could be a teacher too. One of the things that I loved most about training with Janet was our sessions on visualization. Mark Tewksbury's book also spoke about the power of visualization, so this was extra important to me. Laying on the pool deck, Janet would lead us through visualization sessions and brain exercises. I learned how to visualize a race, and when I dove into the water, it would go exactly like I had planned in my mind. It was powerful, and it felt amazing. My coaching on visualization didn't end there. Remember when I said that books could be coaches too? Have you ever heard of The Secret? Well, my dad sent me the video and my Nana bought me the book. Everyone around me seemed to be talking about it. I was an adult when I read it and it reminded me of being a kid on the pool deck, going through our team visualization exercises. Hey, this works, I know this works, I thought, as I remembered what it felt to visualize a race and win. It was a great reminder for me and it came at just the right time. Funny how those things happen. I read the book, I watched the video, both of them again and again, and I did my best to stay on the frequency of positive thoughts and feelings. I believed, and it worked. I can't wait to tell you this story. And this story will come in my next episode. I hope that you can tune in and join me for that. Thank you again for being here today and thank you again for following my podcasts and my book, A Coach is a Coach, Motivation for Leaders. Have a great day.